Jeremy, it's your turn now. And you are going to celebrate your birthday today. So, in honor of your birthday, we're going to begin to read Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Now, I have to tell you, this is a book that I only recently discovered, even though it was written in 1971, which is 50 years ago. But I fell in love with it. A friend of mine showed it to me. I read it and I said, this is the perfect book to read as a podcast. So Jeremy, your birthday is the beginning of my reading the entire book of Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. By the way, this book was written by a man named Robert C. O'Brien. However, that wasn't really his real name. He called himself that because he needed what we call a nom de plume or a pen name because he didn't want people to know that he was the one who was writing. His real name was Robert Leslie Carroll Conley, which was quite a long name. However, Robert C. O'Brien wrote a number of books for young readers, but this must be the best one because I can't imagine any other book being as good or better than this. So we will begin now. Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim by Robert C. O'Brien. Chapter One, The Sickness of Timothy Frisbee. Mrs. Frisbee, the head of a family of field mice, lived in an underground house in the vegetable garden of a farmer named Mr. Fitzgibbon. It was a winter house, such as some field mice move to when food becomes too scarce and the living too hard in the woods and the pastures. In the soft earth of a bean, potato, black-eyed pea, and asparagus patch, there is plenty of food left over for mice after the human crop has been gathered. Mrs. Frisbee and her family were especially lucky in the house itself. It was a slightly damaged cinder block, the hollow kind with two oval holes through it. It had somehow been abandoned in the garden during the summer and lay almost completely buried with only a bit of one corner showing above ground, which is how Mrs. Frisbee had discovered it. It lay on its side in such a way that the solid parts of the block formed a roof and a floor, both waterproof, and the hollows made two spacious rooms. Lined with bits of leaves, grass, cloth, cotton fluff, feathers, and other soft things, Mrs. Frisbee and her children had collected the house stay dry, warm, and comfortable all winter. Now what I would like you to do, guys, 
is I'd like you to try to draw the house. Draw a cinder block just the way it's described in the story with the cotton fluff and feathers and other things, leaves, grass, cloth, and see how these mice could possibly live in this place for the winter. A tunnel to the surface earth of the garden dug up so that it was slightly larger than a mouse and slightly smaller than a cat's foreleg provided access, air, and even a fair amount of light to the living room. The bedroom formed by the second oval was warm but dark even at midday. A short tunnel through the earth behind the block connected the two rooms. Although she was a widow, her husband had died only the preceding summer, Mrs. Frisbee was able through luck and hard work to keep her family. There were four children, happy and well-fed. January and February were the hardest months, the sharp, hard, cold that began in December, lasted until March. And by February, the beans and black eyes had been picked over with the help from some birds. The asparagus roots were frozen into stone and the potatoes had been thawed and refrozen so many times that they had acquired a slimy texture and a rancid taste. Blech. Still, the Frisbees made the best of what there was, and one way or another, they kept from being hungry. Then one day, at the very end of February, Mrs. Frisbee's younger son, Timothy, fell sick. Oh dear. That day began with a dry, bright, icy morning. Mrs. Frisbee woke up early as she always did. She and her family slept close together in a bed of down, fluff, and bits of cloth they had gathered, warm as a ball of fur. She stood up carefully so as not to waken the children and walked quietly through the short tunnel to the living room. Here, it was not so warm, but not really cold either. She could see from the light filtering down the entrance tunnel that the sun was up and bright. She looked at the food in her pantry, a hollowed out space lined with small stones in the earth behind the living room. There was plenty of food for breakfast and lunch and dinner too, for that matter. But still, the sight depressed her for it was the same tiresome fare they had been eating every single day, every meal for the last month. She wished she knew where to find a bit of green lettuce or a small egg or a taste of cheese or a corn muffin. Do you think Mrs. Frisbee ever ate a bagel? I'm not sure. There were eggs in plenty not far off in the hen house, but hens and hen's eggs are far too big for a field mouse to cope with. And besides, between the garden 
and the hen house, there was a wide sward of shrubs and grass, some of it grown up quite tall. Cat territory. She climbed the tunnel, emerging whiskers first, and looked around warily. The air was sharp, and there was white frost thick on the ground, and the dead leaves at the edge of the wood across the garden patch. Mrs. Frisbee set off over the gently furrowed earth, and when she reached the fence, she turned right, skirting the border of the forest, searching with her bright round eyes for a bit of carrot, a frozen parsnip, or something green. But there was nothing green at that time of year but the needles on the pine trees and the leaves on the holly, neither of which a mouse or any other animal, for that matter, can eat. And then, straight in front of her, she did see something green. She had reached the far corner of the garden, and there, at the edge of the wood, where it met the fence, was a stump. In the stump, there was a hole, and out of the hole protruded something that looked a little like a leaf, but it was not. Mrs. Frisbee had no trouble at all going through the cattle wire fence, but she approached the hole cautiously. If the stump was hollow, as it seemed to be, then there was no telling who or what might be living in it. A foot or so from the hole, she stopped, stood still, and watched and listened. She could hear no sound, but from there she could see what the green was. In was It was, in fact, a yellowish-brownish green, a bit of a corn shuck. But what was a corn shuck doing there? The cornfield was in a different part of the farm altogether, way beyond the pasture. Mrs. Frisbee hopped closer and then carefully crept up the side of the stump and peered inside. When her eyes got used to the dark, she saw that she had found a treasure, a winter supply of food carefully stored and then for some reason forgotten and abandoned. But stored by whom? A raccoon, perhaps? Not very likely, so far from the stream. More likely a squirrel or a groundhog. She knew that both of these felt free to help themselves to the new corn each year and that they were strong enough to carry ears away and store them. But whoever had done it, why had he then abandoned the store? And then she remembered, back in November, there had come from near that edge of the woods the sound that sends all of the animals in the forest shivering to their hiding places, the sound of hunters' guns shooting, the sound that is accompanied for some reason by a firing, stabbing pain. And then he never needs his stored food again. Do you understand what that means? What that means is that when hunters come and hunt animals, they die. 
and they don't need their store again because they're gone. Still, since Mrs. Frisbee did not even know what kind of animal it had been, much less its name, she could not shed many tears over him, and food was food. It was not the green lettuce she had longed for, but she and her children were extremely fond of corn, and there were eight large ears in the stump, a noble supply for a mouse family. Down under the corn, she also could see a pile of fresh peanuts from still another part of the farm, some hickory nuts and a stack of dried, sweet-smelling mushrooms. Mm -mm -mm. With her forepaws and her sharp teeth, she pulled off a part of the husk from the top ear of the corn and folded it double to serve as a crude carrying bag. Then she pulled loose as many of the yellow kernels as she could easily lift, and putting them in the shuck bag, she hopped off briskly for home. She would come back for more after breakfast and bring the children to help. She backed down the tunnel entrance to her house, tail first, pulling the corn after her and calling cheerfully as she went, Children, wake up! See what I have for breakfast. It's a surprise. They came scurrying out, rubbing their eyes in excitement, for any kind of surprise in food was a rare and festive thing in the cold dead of winter. Teresa, the oldest, came first. Crowding close behind her was Martin, the biggest, a strong, quick mouse, dark-haired and handsome like his poor father. Then came Cynthia, the youngest, a slim, pretty girl mouse, light-haired and, in fact, a little light-headed as well and over-fond of dancing. Where is it? she said. Where is it? Where's the surprise? Where's Timothy? asked Mrs. Frisbee. Mother! said Teresa, concerned. He says he's sick and can't get up. Nonsense, Martin. Tell your brother to get out of bed at once or he'll get no breakfast. Martin ran to the bedroom obediently, but he came back in a moment alone. He says he feels too sick and he doesn't want any breakfast, even a surprise. I felt his forehead and it's burning hot. Oh, dear, said Mrs. Frisbee. That sounds as though he's really sick. Timothy had on occasion been known to think he was sick when he really was not. Here, you may have all your breakfast, save Timothy's, and I'll go and see what's wrong. She opened up the green carrying bag and put the corn on the table, dividing it into five equal shares. The dining table was a smooth piece of lathe support on both ends by stones. Corn, shouted Martin. Oh, mother, where did you ever get it? Eat up, said Mrs. Frisbee, and a little later I'll show you because there's a lot more where this came from. And she disappeared into the little hallway that led to the bedroom. A lot more, Martin repeated as he sat down with his two sisters. That sounds like enough to last till moving day. I hope so, 
Cynthia said. When is moving day anyway? Two weeks, said Martin authoritatively. Maybe three. Oh, Martin, how do you know? Protested Teresa. What if it stays cold? Anyway, suppose Timothy isn't well enough. At this dreadful thought, so casually raised, they all grew worried and fell silent. Then Cynthia said, Teresa, you shouldn't be so gloomy. Of course he'll be well. He's just got a cold, that's all. She finished eating her corn, and so did the others. In the bedroom, Mrs. Frisbee felt Timothy's forehead. It was indeed hot and damp with sweat. She took his pulse and dropped his wrist in alarm at what she felt. Do you feel sick to your stomach? No, mother, I feel all right, only cold. And when I sit up, I get dizzy and I can't get my breath too well. Mrs. Frisbee peered anxiously at his face and would have looked at his tongue, but in the dark room, she could see no more than the dim outline of his head. He was the thinnest of her children and had a dark complexion like his father and brother. He was narrow of face. His eyes were unusually large and bright and shone with the intensity of his thought when he spoke. He was, Mrs. Frisbee knew, the smartest and most thoughtful of her children, though she would never have admitted this out loud. But he was also the frailest, and when colds or flu or virus infections came around, he was the first to catch them and the slowest to recover. He was also, perhaps as a result, something of a hypochondriac. Do you know what that is? A hypochondriac is someone who always thinks they're sick. But there was no doubt he was really sick this time. His head felt as if it had a high fever and his pulse was very fast. Poor Timothy, lie back and keep covered. She spread over him some of the bits of cloth they used as blankets. After a while, we will fix you a pallet in the living room so you can lie out where it's light. I found a fine supply of corn this morning, more than we can eat for the rest of the winter. Would you like some? No, thank you. I'm not hungry. Not now. He closed his eyes and in a few minutes he went to sleep, but it was a restless sleep in which he tossed and moaned continuously. In mid-morning, Mrs. Frisbee, Martin, and Cynthia set off for the stump to carry home more of the corn and some peanuts and mushrooms, the hickory nuts they would leave, for they were too hard for mouse jaws to crack and too tedious to gnaw through. They left Teresa home to look after Timothy, whom they had wrapped up and helped into a temporary sickbed in the living room. When they returned at lunchtime, carrying the heavy loads of food, they found her near tears from worry. Timothy was much worse. His eyes looked wild and strange from the fever. He trembled continuously, and each breath he took sounded like a gasp for life. Teresa said, 
Oh, mother, I'm so glad you're back. He's having nightmares and shouting about monsters and cats. And when I talk to him, he doesn't hear me at all. Not only was Timothy not hearing with his ears, his eyes, though wide open, were not seeing, or if they were, he was not recognizing what they saw. When his mother tried to talk to him to hold his hand and ask him how he felt, he stared past her as if she did not exist. Then he gave it a long, low moan. Uh, and seemed to be trying to say something, but the words would not form properly and made no sense at all. The other children stared in frightened silence. Finally, Martin asked, Mother, what is it? What's wrong with him? He's terribly ill. His fever is so high, he has become delirious. There's nothing for it. I will have to go to Mr. Ages. Timothy must have medicine. chapter one. I hope you liked it. There's a lot to think about, don't you think? Tune in next week for chapter two, which is called Mr. Ages. Do you think that Mrs. Frisbee will be able to get medicine? Who's Mr. Ages anyway? Well, we'll find all this out next week. Meantime, Jeremy, have a great birthday. Bye now. <laughs>